John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Jeff. Um, If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, which is after Chronicles, Kings, and Ezra in the Old Testament. We are uh, right at the start of our Nehemiah series, looking at this idea of how do we as a church uh, rebuild, or how do we as a church look to Jesus and look to the one who is rebuilding us. Um, So today we're looking at Nehemiah 2, and uh, we're going to be just in the first 10 verses of Nehemiah 2. Last week we talked about how um, at the start of any rebuild, at the start of any sort of project that the Lord puts us to, it always begins with the time of prayer. That if we want to really rebuild with Jesus, we have to go to the one who can rebuild us. We have to pray to the God of heaven like Nehemiah does. And today we're looking at after Nehemiah prays and fasts what he does in response to that. So we're going to be in Nehemiah 2 verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried in is ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, Well, then how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber I will need to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted all these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. When I came to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I was doing sermon prep for this week, I felt the Lord tell me to just focus on just this one aspect here in Nehemiah 2. And it's going to be the very first verse in Nehemiah 2. And I want us to kind of carefully pay attention to what's going on in the text. Nehemiah 2.1, it starts off by saying, 
Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. It says in the following spring. And when we look back to Nehemiah 1, we look back to that time when Nehemiah first hears about the devastation in Jerusalem. Nehemiah first hears about the walls being destroyed, the gates being burned down, and just the city of God just being left in desolation and ruin. This is what it says in Nehemiah 1.1. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. You may not have caught that, but there's this, there's this time jump that happens between Nehemiah 1, when Nehemiah starts praying and fasting and going before the Lord in prayer, to when finally Nehemiah's prayers are answered a few months later. When we look at the Persian calendar, we know that that span of time was about a four-month span when Nehemiah starts praying and fasting and going before the throne of God until there's an opportunity for him to answer that prayer. It's interesting, as I was doing research this week, some scholars even think, so Nehemiah asked the king for all these letters, that after Nehemiah asks for all these things from the king, it takes then about another three to five years to get all that supplies ready before he goes and visits Jerusalem. And that's a long time to be waiting, isn't it? whether you believe the three to five years or not, but four months span of time between praying and answered prayer, that's a long time, isn't it? So today I want to look at this idea of what is it like to wait on the Lord? How do we wait on the Lord and why do we wait on the Lord? I'm sure that this is something that each and every single one of us have felt. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've experienced this period of waiting on God to do something. Maybe you've had this prayer that you've been praying for years or months and it just hasn't come to pass yet and you're just wondering, what's, what's the holdup? Why is God taking his sweet time? Maybe you've received a calling or a promise from the Lord and you're sort of in this in-between moment where you're waiting on the promise to come to fulfillment or you're waiting to step into that calling, but in the meantime, you're just like, what, what's the holdup, Lord? Why are you taking so long? Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship break or you have some inner wounds that need healing or some unforgiveness you're holding on to and you're kind of like, Jesus, what's taking so long for me to get better? You ever, ever been in that situation or am I the only one that's felt that time of waiting? It's something very common in the faith, and we see it here in the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah, in this time of prayer and fasting and mourning before the walls of Jerusalem, mourning and waiting for God to come and do something, he's just praying for months and months, and so why is it that we wait, and how do we wait? I want to first look at this idea of why do we wait, and I think it's fundamentally we wait because it forms our soul and our faith. Waiting forms our soul and our faith. During this time of prayer and fasting, it's not like Nehemiah prays once and then he's like, I'm all good, and everything is just waiting until the Lord has it come to pass. No, Nehemiah is consistently going before the Lord in prayer, consistently fasting, consistently seeking the face of God. 
And we know that while prayer changes things, we pray for God to come and do something, and then we see the hand of God move in our lives, and we see him change and do something. Prayer changes things externally, but it also changes our hearts internally. Prayer also changes us. When we behold and cry out to the Lord, it fundamentally changes us and changes our hearts. And how could it not? I mean, isn't that just what the transformation of the Christian faith was? Is that we spend time with Jesus and then we become more like Jesus. And if prayer is just simply talking to the Lord, how can we not become more like him in our prayers? That in this period of waiting, it transforms us and it forms us and it makes us more into the person that God is creating us to be. One of my favorite scripture passages is from the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea was one of the prophets in Israel and he's uh, talking about how the Lord is going to judge Israel for their idolatry and sin but he also gives a word of hope that after the Lord has dealt with sort of their idolatry this is what Hosea says in chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 this is the Lord speaking about what he's going to do again for Israel but then I will win her back once again I will lead her into the desert places and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young. When I freed her from captivity in Egypt, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. I don't know if you caught that first part in the beginning, that it's in those desert places it's in those periods of waiting. It's in those seasons of dryness. It's in the desert places that the Lord woos us to himself. He speaks tenderly to us in those desert places and speaks words of hope that it's in those periods of waiting that the transformation of our heart and soul happens. It transforms our relationship with him. If you've ever been through a big struggle in your life and you've prayed through the Lord and you, the Lord has seen you through it, I know this is true in my own life, and I'm sure this is true for many others because I've heard it before, where you say, I wouldn't go through it again, but the Lord transformed me through that desert season. The Lord transformed me through the waiting, and I firmly believe that Nehemiah, in this period of mourning and fasting and going before God, that he was transformed because that is just the consistent message we see in Scripture over and over again. It's that waiting on the Lord being with Jesus, that going before the Lord in prayer fundamentally transforms and forms us and shapes us. Uh, one of my favorite things to do growing up was to play with the Christmas candles on Christmas Eve services. Did any of y'all do that growing up? Or do any of y'all do it still as an adult? I couldn't find any Christmas candles or Christmas Eve candles at Walmart. But what we and my brother would like to do is we would take the candle in our hand like this and we would just hold it like this throughout the whole service. And I don't know if you know this, you can, if you hold the candle, I'm sorry parents if I ruined Christmas Eve for y'all, um, but if you hold the candle in your hand for long enough, the wax will kind of get warm and soft and pliable. And if you apply just like a gentle amount of pressure after you warm the candle up, you can bend the candle all the way up. And so what me and my brother would do is we would just, for the whole service, 
on Christmas Eve just be holding it in our hand and we'd have this like challenge to see who could have their candle bent all the way without breaking it. But the key to doing this trick though is you have to have the candle be warm first because if you try to apply pressure, the candle just snaps and breaks. And I think that that's sometimes what it's like in our Christian faith. So I think sometimes we just need to be held in the hands of God. And that sometimes we just need to spend time with the Lord. And that when we spend time with him, it's almost like the hand of God is warming our hearts and warming our souls so that way he can bend us and shape us and mold us and form us into the person that he wants us to be. That there is transformative power in just simply being with Jesus. But if we don't spend the time and we want that transformation, we'll just snap like these candles. I had a friend remind me this week, one of my mentors, I called him up and he reminded me this week that deep wounds require deep healing and that you can't put band-aids on surgery fixes. Church, it's okay if rebuilds take time. It's okay if wounds that we carry in our soul take time. It's okay if things in our life that we're struggling with or that we're waiting on or these prayers that just seem to be unanswered take time because we know the person who is walking with us in our waiting, the one who has met us in our desert spaces, that Jesus doesn't rush things with us because we're fundamentally doing it with him. And Jesus loves to spend time with us. So why do we wait? We wait because it forms in our sh and it shapes us. And how do we spend that time in our waiting? We spend that time waiting by drawing closer to Jesus. We wait by drawing closer to Jesus. Like I said earlier, Nehemiah in this time, he's, he's not wasting this time. He's not just said one prayer and he's like, all right, I'm good to go. I've put in my coin into the prayer vending machine and I'm just waiting on it to dispense the goodies. No, Nehemiah is constantly going before the Lord in prayer, that he is constantly fasting, that he is mourning, he is seeking the face of God, that Nehemiah is spending this time with the Lord. Nehemiah is spending this time with the Lord. And when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time with the one who has come to make us new, when we spend that time with him, that is how we find deep, transformative healing in our lives. Because he doesn't want to do it any other way. One of my favorite books is a book that I read in seminary. It's called Wounds That Heal. Um, if you're struggling with any type of inner healing that you just need the Lord to work through, I highly encourage y'all to get this, Wounds That Heal. And in it, my professor talks about how we as Christians need to bring our hurts to the cross of Jesus. That in the cross of Jesus Christ, he not only comes to take away our sins, but he has come to bear our suffering. He has come to suffer with us, that somehow when we look at the cross of Jesus and we see that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that Jesus was a man of suffering, that we in our own suffering, in our own sorrows, can look to the one who suffers for us and who suffers with us, that Jesus transforms us and brings healing to us by his cross and crucifixion. 
that we serve a God who knows what it means to suffer. We know a God who knows what it feels like to be betrayed. We serve a God who knows what it's like to be filled with sorrow. And in the waiting, we draw closer to this Jesus in the middle of that. When I think about this idea of rebuilding, I think that there is a rebuilding of trust, a rebuilding of faith, a rebuilding that's done by healing. And friends, this can only happen not through a good strategy, not through simply letting time pass. The only way that this can happen, as we see in Nehemiah, as we see all throughout the pages of Scripture, the only way that this can truly happen is if we just press deeper into Jesus. We just press deeper into Jesus. You know, one of the things when we went through uh, disaffiliation at our old church, at my old church, one of the things that one of our pastors on staff said, um, she said, if we don't come out of this loving Jesus deeper, then we've done something wrong. Friends, my prayer is that we just love Jesus deeper. That however this rebuild works, whatever it looks like, I just want us to love Jesus more. I want to read this passage from Wounds That Heal to y'all. He says this, The cross is a place, a wonderful place, where there is mercy and grace for those who have been accused and condemned and deeply wounded. What healing grace is there and what power is there in his nailed-scarred hands? At the cross, he ministers to our wounds by touching his wounds to ours. Friends, I want us to be a people who look to Jesus. I want us to be people who spend time with Jesus. Um, I'm preaching a bit shorter today. One thing I felt the Lord say to me this week, a few of the band wants to come back up. Um, I felt the Lord tell me to preach shorter today and just spend this sort of last closing, uh, I think, 15, 20 minutes, just spending time with the Lord. Uh, because it's not my preaching that changes anything. It's not my words that change anything. It's only Jesus himself that can transform lives and hearts. And so we're going to spend a bit of extended time in worship. And I would just encourage you to spend this time however you feel like the Lord is asking you to spend it. Whether it's to stand up and worship him. Whether it's to take some time and pray. Whether it's to reflect over the sermon. Whether it, whatever way you connect with Jesus, I would just encourage you to spend these next 15 minutes of being like Nehemiah and just getting before the throne of God. As scripture says, we can boldly approach the throne of God and just grab a hold of the footstool of God and don't let go. Look to the one whom our soul desperately needs, the one whom brings healing in his wings. And I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. He says this, and I think it applies to Jesus as well. Wrongs will be right when Aslan comes into sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.